0: Hey everyone, Craig Adams here. Welcome to my podcast. Today's an interview with Chase Mountains. He's a hiker and a video creator who's traveled all over the world. He's currently in Spain and his focus is on the fitness of hiking. So we talk about that and much more. So let's get into it.
1: I've seen your minimalism video like your in terms of what you carry on a hike and it's very very minimal
0: (laughs) see the thing is there's people above and below though I've I just interviewed another hiker who's hiked probably 10 times more than I have like miles and distance and his base weight was like six pounds which is insane (laughs) like so there's people who uh, there's just always people who are more extreme than you think right like I don't know, have, yeah. you, have you seen those ultralight people who who kind of like eat a paste, they like never stop walking, like they just sleep under the stars, I don't know. Do did, did you do that? Yeah. Because I've seen i seen you kind of cowboy camp a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, that was more just the <laughs> fact that it, in Spain you, or at least in Catalonia, in this area where I'm living, you're not really allowed to set up a tent. Hmm. So you can, biv- they say bivouac, which is basically you can have like a bivy bag um or you can sleep you know in your sleeping bag and cover cover yourself with whatever you've got but you're not actually allowed to erect a tent it's a really weird law so any videos where i'm doing that it's simply because that's the only option and it's kind of cool actually because it it thins the herd a little bit like you don't have so many kind of Uh, weekenders coming out and and camping setting up tents all over the place because it's it's illegal so
0: yeah does it just stop the amount of people coming or does it actually like make less of a footprint because you still have to like find a little spot but you can be more stealth about it right
1: yeah i imagine what their their the aim is to minimize the footprint Mm -hmm. and yeah certainly you can be more stealth so yeah the idea is that i think within there's a certain kilometer range limit that's probably different for each park i'd imagine but um you have to be a certain amount of kilometers away before you can yeah uh, even even bivouac because i've i've uh
0: i've pushed the limits of where i can set up a tent and you know it's kind of it's kind of wild camping is kind of Uh, risky in a sense where if you're not allowed to set up a tent if you just set it up at night and then leave in the morning like who's gonna know so er, i don't know (laughs) i don't know if that's frowned upon in the hiking community but i would like to sleep anywhere so bivy seems like a good way to do that right
1: yeah bivy's are are excellent and i've spent a few nights and thankfully no rough ones but like i've slept it. Um it's about six thousand two hundred meters in ohlah yeah a, in a bivy bag that was um at like i think it was camp two yeah, camp 2 I've seen some and photos
0: of you on top of mountains sleeping yeah
1: yeah well uh that's that's the other thing here in the in the pyrenees they're the highest mountains are you know around three thousand meters so yeah, nine thousand feet, and often when you get to the top there's uh like a, a rock kind of cleared area mm-hmm. where you've got it like a couple of walls maybe three walls four if you're lucky and a nice flat area to just put down a mat and so it's that's totally accepted and it's totally legal and it's amazing like if you if you get a clear night and a stable a stable weather night you know, you can take photos all night you can you know stay in your sleeping bag and pull your camera out and, and start rolling
0: yeah so and the idea is that people might come up there because everyone's trying to summit mountains like you might be alone on the trail all day but once you get to the peak there's usually other people so have you ever had people kind of like stumble upon you sleeping
1: um no i mean people would sometimes come up towards the end of the day you know when the sun's setting just have a look mm-hmm. um, and then they leave to see, if to see if there's any spaces like we had this oh. one guy who was he was through hiking the uh um the Haut route the Py- pyrenean Hort route and he just kind of pop- popped his head up came up in the afternoon as the sun was setting just to have a look but he, you know he was he was doing that whole route in I don't know eight weeks i think he wanted to do it in and that was in that was in like sept oh, that was even was late september early october so he was really pushing it
0: is that what? Of, is that the gr10 what what is the one route that goes all the way across uh mediterranean to atlantic do you know what i'm talking I about the,
1: yeah yeah i believe the gr10 and the gr11 both uh go the entire stretch i could be wrong but um it's like five, 500 like miles
0: it's such a yeah, long it's, it's got to be it's tough Huge elevation yeah, gains
1: and, yeah and you can take i mean this the history of this those kind of walks goes back a long way that's basically what the camino de santiago was it was you know like you're walking the the whole breadth of spain basically from east to west it's not necessarily along the Pyrenees. That's Much flatter, the, yeah. Yeah, the route to get to Santiago, but the GR11 and the the GR10, you know, follow that kind of a similar path of going all the way across Spain of, mm-hmm. along the northern border of France, and you have got a lot of choice between... The, you can do the Hort route, which is obviously the high, the high passes, mm-hmm. which is always going to be... A little more challenging and probably a little more interesting or you can take the take the lower route and it goes through more villages and there's a lot less elevation and descent so i, I would love to do it i, I particularly want to do the Catalan, um just the, the start at least with the Catalan pyrenees
0: mm. so you're on the spanish side of the pyrenees mountains um yeah. are you there just because you want to hike the that area or what what brought you there? Obviously you're quarantined and kind of stuck inside I, I saw your yeah. post about the fine if you've you've got these mountains <laughs> right outside your door, but you can't go out there
1: yeah it's uh oh, it's so painful i mean the i I don't so right now i'm in a in a small mm-hmm. town that's forty minutes from Barcelona and it it's about an hour from from the Pyrenees, like the real mountains, but literally kind of in my backyard from the balcony, I can see a mountain called Montserrat. And I originally, I came out here when this quarantine started because uh, my partner's parents, they have an apartment here. And we, we're here on the weekends and um, we, we come out quite often, but we figured it was, a, it was probably a smart decision to come out here rather than being in the middle of Barcelona just during this pandemic Um, and I thought quite naively that I'd be able to continue like going hiking and going trail running every day. Um, But that's not been the case. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the figures that Spain is um, second highest now on on the list in terms of how it's being affected. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, yeah, and the rules here are very, very strict. Um, So for for those reasons and and for other reasons i've decided to be really strict and and stay home and not do any hiking so yeah it's
0: really tough affected me that way yeah especially for people who want to hike like it it's counterintuitive you would think a hike would be a good thing to do but yeah they've kind of shut everything down the pct is closed i can't really go anywhere i'm stuck in brooklyn and even trying to just go for runs it just feels weird and i just don't want to do it like yeah it's tough
1: yeah i i've i sort of figured that i'd be able to kind of sneak out and and continue running but i've you know had some dirty looks from some old ladies in town and (laughs) Mm. and also i you know i thought if i was to roll an ankle and i've got to call the the emergency services or something you know i'm just going to feel so stupid and i'm also then putting their lives at risk so i thought better off to just stay home and and also i kind of chose to do this because i'm I'm then in the same situation as all my clients and all the kind of people around the world that follow my channel and my training. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I imagine the vast majority of people that watch my channel, uh, they're all, you know, living in cities or uh, perhaps apartments or they're uh, just kind of quarantined at home. So, I kind of wanted to be on on a level playing field to be able to, you know, relate to everyone. Like if I was just this guy that was super lucky, and and I am, um, super lucky guy that had a mountain in his backyard then it would be very different
0: oh man uh, you know the economy's down across the board but there are a couple very specific niche uh, categories that are up and i would think home quarantined no you know body weight only workouts like done digitally or you know remotely would be booming right now like you're yeah. so your business like, can you just talk about your your it's your main hustle right it's like kind yeah, of like your full-time full-time job
1: yeah yeah I, I don't do anything else and I, I haven't done yeah. anything else for about I don't know I started in 2013 so I guess it's nearly seven years that's dope uh, but I, I started the business in Australia and really what I wanted to do originally is I just wanted to just hike people up and down hills and get them fit and, and i thought you know that would be sufficient in terms of their training and i thought you know i can basically i wanted to to be paid to be really fit and and to be paid to go hiking and uh so that's what i that was the original goal like very simple you know mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> do, what you, no do what, what you do what you love into <laughs> Do what you love, yeah. follow your passion, and then figure out a way to make money from that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so so for guess, people
0: listening, we're talking about Basecamp, right?
1: Yeah, so the business is called Basecamp, Yeah. Um, basecampfit.com. And, but I mean, honestly, over the last few years, since I, since I moved to Spain, so I guess the background is that I uh, I closed down the business in Australia when I decided to move to Spain and I just wanted to go completely online. And it's, it just—I I really just fell into YouTube. Like I had this—I made this one video about trekking poles that somehow became, you know, the algorithm loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe maybe got—I don't know—six hundred thousand views or something, which is a lot for my channel. And um, and I thought, well, okay, if that one video can do well. I turned on AdSense, I was like, let's see what we can do, I'm making videos anyway for my programs, My all of my fitness programs are video related, they're just basically PDFs with, at the moment, they are just PDFs with links to videos, so I'm making videos anyway and I thought, well, I could maybe earn some AdSense on the side and uh, it could be a way for, for people to connect with me and, and get to know me because people, people buy, they buy you, especially when you're like a soul trader and you're like a youtube personality for lack of a, a better term if people are really kind of just if they like your personality they they buy your stuff so i thought you know if if i've got this one successful video people seem to like it so i'll have a, i'll have a go at making a youtube channel <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah and uh, um just like personal fitness is a large category um and then breaking it down into just hiking focus like how does that kind of change the types of videos that you make like do you feel because that's pretty niche right just to make videos about uh hiking focus like you can of course branch out and do other things but i Mm. think it it's it goes hand in hand like people have been asking about my fitness routine like what i do when i'm not hiking um people have asked about my leg workout (laughs) like it seems so strange (laughs) seems so strange to me but what is that space like
1: I, I categorize my videos into mind, body and gear and I really haven't touched on the mindset stuff that much to be honest, but that's probably the category that I'm most interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess when it comes to hiking and, and especially mountaineering like m- mount, uh, mindset is a huge thing and it's very kind of uh, misunderstood or not misunderstood but like um, very little understood category even you know for me i'm i'm no expert in the subject it's it's as much as a uh, an exploration for me as it is for anybody else you know but um mind body and gear the the three things that i focus on i guess you know i, I like doing gear reviews and honestly the the gear videos are the ones that do the best so you know i, I can earn amazon affiliate sales and uh and get good Adsense views from from those videos the body ones are you know all about fitness and they're primarily there to if I'm honest to you know educate people and kind of get them into my fitness programs and the mindset is just for fun for me because I enjoy kind of delving into that stuff
0: yeah I think that's cool but you're also documenting the hikes that you're going on I think one of the first videos that I discovered you through, it was strange because I watched your heart, Marty Himal uh, trekking video when I was in Nepal doing the, the same trek. But then I also realized that I think we had chatted before then, or I had seen some of your stuff just organically before I, I made the connection. I was like, "Oh, yeah. Ch- Chase Mountains! I've seen that before." Cool. Yeah. So th- um, thank I you figured, for that yeah, video. You
1: just yeah no no problem. I um I yeah I haven't done a lot of. Uh, like hiking tour videos. I just, I literally felt compelled to do that Marty Himal video because it is such a cool hike and I think, and I get so many questions from people that are going going to Nepal. I've had, um, I've been lucky enough to go to Nepal a whole bunch of times, so I was uh, interested in doing this hike just for something different and I heard about it from from my friend and I saw the ridge. And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> this place is amazing." And <laughs> I, and I, and I, you know, I would love to travel around and and do hiking review videos, but the fact is that I've got, you know, this business that I've got to continue, you know, creating more programs and updating the videos and and, and all the rest of it. So I can't kind of travel full time and and make videos. Well, at least I can't prioritize that. And I'd prefer to do what I do, but it was just fun for me to do that, and uh, and I really want. I really wanted to open the options up for people in Nepal because everyone does Everest Base Camp and Annapurna Circuit, and I mm-hmm. just felt if I made a video, maybe we could kind of spread the spread the love a bit to, to some of the other areas. But I'm sure Mardi Humal, especially now from your video, will will receive a lot more
0: traffic. <laughs> yeah, um, it was such a great hike though, and I like you mentioned Annapurna Circuit was what I was going for initially and then because it got Mm. closed down to an avalanche i did the marty hamal um but that turned out to be awesome and it's funny that we're always looking for these ridge hikes and the peaks and the elevation for the views um but i feel like there's also good stuff in the flat flatter trails like this is something i'm kind of struggling with do you get that sense that we're like trying to get the low-hanging fruit with like the ridges and the high ranges but there are some other trails that could be equally as beautiful. Like you mentioned the what Camino de Santiago.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think naturally as you go into flatter areas, it's going to be less, it's going to be like kind of more densely populated, but there's certainly areas in, in Nepal, especially far Western Nepal, like Dolpo. I mean, Dolpo is basically flat, but it it's high altitude flat. So it's, it's basically on the Tibetan plateau. So whilst there isn't a lot of uh elevation gain uh there you know you're at altitude the whole time it's a high altitude desert essentially so i mean that place doesn't get anywhere near i mean i'm hazarding a guess maybe like two percent of people that go trekking in nepal would go to dolpo Mm -hmm. you know two to five percent i'm guessing but very few and purely because it's just difficult to get there
0: I think there are so many places that we don't even know. And I would like to get into that. Um, and a lot of it's logistics like, one, yeah. finding out the places, two, getting out there, and then three, making sure you're safe. Because you could just go into the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan, um, in like the northern, eastern part, which is beautiful, there's mountain ranges, but mm. you could get stuck out there and not have food or communication or whatever. So you know, I I think there's still a lot that I can do in the U S and like, you know, the, the highlights, like the top 50 trails, uh, long distance trails around the world. But I think I I might do them pretty quickly if I'm doing at least one or two a month, you know? Uh, so I, I've been wanting to get better at logistics, but I've also been wanting to get better at mountaineering and that's something that you do, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I had a, I put out on my community section, of my channel just to say, hey, I'm coming on uh, on Coygarden's podcast. You know, if you got any questions. And someone was like, um, is he going to get into mountaineering? So we've got, to, we've got an answer to the questions. Yeah, so what do you, what do you want to do?
0: Um, yeah, because anyone can walk. Going up mountains on a steep trail, you know, you could just take your time. Um, going on long distance, more isolated trails, you just have to be prepared as far as food. And know mm. know what you could do, but when it comes to steep rocks and mountaineering, um, mm. and like actually, like I did around Tour de Mont Blanc, but going up to the top of Tour de Mont Blanc mm. <laughs> or Mount Blanc uh, would be insane to me. Uh, so it comes down to safety, right? You just have to be prepared and know what to expect, right?
1: Yeah, I guess when you start getting into mountaineering, there's there's just a whole nother suite of Things that you need to know like a whole glossary of terms and a whole lot of rope work and knowledge about how glaciers work and you know different types of snow like there's just so many things to know um
0: doing it by myself would be dumb uh
1: yeah yeah honestly i'd probably say that it would be dumb for you to do it by yourself yeah but i mean i've followed some of the videos that you've done and I can see that you've been out in the wilderness like a lot. So you have that kind of... I'm sure you have that kind of wilderness sense but I guess the main thing is glaciers. Like if you came here to um, to the Pyrenees and you wanted to climb some of these 3,000-meter peaks, I don't, the vast majority of them are not glaciated. So you are more than capable of going to do that but I guess when mm-hmm. it comes to having to put on uh having to put on crampons and having to uh, negotiate a glacier which is constantly moving then it, it it's a whole another set of knowledge and, and i guess for for anyone hoping to get into mountaineering the the one thing you need is, is it like a mentor and i have been lucky enough to have good mentors throughout my life mm
0: mm-hmm. mhm yeah, I think that would be smart to find some kind of mountaineering mentor to uh, go do some stuff with. In Colorado, do like I've done some scrambles, which have been pretty, you know, it, it really activates the adrenaline and you have to really worry about your footing. But like you said, mm-hmm. that's in hot temperature and that's rock. So it's not really changing too much. But mm-hmm. when it comes to snow, glaciers at the top and especially hiking and uh, putting crampons during the winter to do any summits, uh that freaks me out because the snow the ice is all fresh and random and new Mm. and it could change it could fall like avalanches are something that i've only started to think about now that i've gone to these places and seen them and heard heard them wow like going going into the the spring hiking anywhere in the spring early spring is like dangerous right because there's avalanche risk
1: yeah yeah so yeah that's just one of the the many things that you need to kind of become aware of if, as you move from hiking into mountaineering and I, i'm not trying to like kind of scare people out of it i think like mountaineering is one of the most enjoyable and important things in my life and i would highly recommend anyone mm-hmm. get into it just because of the, like the the physical and mental challenge and just the feeling that you get from from succeeding and failing and learning, like it's so, so beneficial for for people in in so many ways, but it is a long process of learning. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you can go, what I actually recommend is you go and do a mountaineering course and for you, I'm sure that if you called, um, you know, one of these places in the Pacific Northwest or even there's uh, there's quite a few up in like Maine uh, or Mount Washington, that's up in your area, right? um mm-hmm. yeah they do winter mountaineering courses up there you could you could get on one of those easy hmm.
0: yeah that would be cool yeah tell them you'll
1: make a video f- you'll uh, document a <laughs> <the> video <and laughs> you get a free trip
0: yeah i could play that influencer card uh can i have this thing for free yeah yeah um so so you're doing your business you're also you have the youtube channel you have like a small facebook group um is mm. the social media aspect of it, uh, enjoyable for you? Like, do you see yourself, um, leaning into the YouTube channel, like almost making that your primary, not primary source of income. I think it's good to have a business that you're selling in your, in your videos in a sense, but mm. has it been surprising how much uh, success and enjoyment you've gotten out of the YouTube channel?
1: Yeah, both, both success and enjoyment. I, I've, never been like a video creator, I'm not, you know, I'm not a videographer, I, I have always enjoyed photography, but, you know, the learning process, when I just really decided to take take YouTube and and try and learn it, was phenomenally uh, <laughs> aggressive, like the learning curve going into to YouTube, there's so much to learn, and I really enjoyed that process, and I really enjoy Editing, like you hear people talk about flow state. My flow state is just editing. Like Mm -hmm. you cannot distract me when I'm editing. It's impossible. I just get so engaged in it and I just time flies and I've, you know, read about people saying, you know, find your flow state, this is what you you to to do to make you happy and I, I really enjoy editing. Even if I didn't earn you know, I don't earn that much money from YouTube from AdSense, but even if I didn't I would still do it anyway because Mm -hmm. I I really just love capturing moments. And even more, as I I get better and learn more things and get better equipment, I love it even more so.
0: Yeah, people have asked me if I would offload the editing or like hire an editor, but it's such a fun part. After I go on a hike, I'll sit in a cafe and just edit happily for eight hours straight.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I did after I, I filmed that Marty Himal Video. Uh, really I sat in a cafe in in Pokhara for Polkera, like around the lake. days and just yeah yeah so yeah. nice. This French pancake place. Hmm. I had pancakes every day and just you know drank coffee and edited it and I was like I'm living my best life right now. This is so good.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but I was there in the off season, so there was barely anyone. Yeah. So. It was Mm. so silly because there's one stretch along the lake. It's beautiful. Obviously, that's where all the tourists go. So it's very, you know, commercialized and touristy. But because there was no one there, they were all kind of trying to usher me in because I was like the only way they were going to earn a buck that day or that morning. So I feel like I got five star treatment every morning, evening and night in Pokhara. It's such a wonderful little spot. Can you imagine what
1: it's going to be like when this whole mess is over and people can travel again? When you go back to Nepal, they'll just be like dragging you in from the streets, whether you like it or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I do picture going back to Pokhara, and I, I obviously want to hike more in Nepal. But uh, yeah. it was funny to make a connection with the hotel owner when I did visit, and uh, mm. he asked me to put some information in the video about his hotel and i've gotten Mm. photos from him and other people of people already staying at that hotel when they you know mentioned my name and it's so silly it's like such a small town family aspect but i love that little town i think everyone should visit nepal get away from kathmandu go 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 to pokhara
1: yeah yeah (laughs) i would i would quite happily live there like on a semi-permanent basis i think especially when they build the airport because Mm. you can kind of get it get it in and out a little bit easier without having to uh take the the bus at the international airport i mean
0: yeah yep yeah so many more people going there and and i i hope that more people go because of my video and treat Mm. the trail with respect you know it's it's always tough it's something i ask people about like how do you feel about like the hiking community is kind of weird, right? I don't know if you've seen this, oh, but people want to keep things secret and safe and like yeah. isolated. But then again, everyone should be able to enjoy these beautiful places, right? Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, I mean, the hiking community has some has some strange people. I mean, you've seen the comments on, that you would get on hiking <laughs> hiking videos. Um, actually, one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Is that you got like heckled for for not wearing hiking boots a few times?
0: Oh man, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't do hiking boots either, and um, I've had loads of people say, what, "You know, it's not safe. Why are you in? Why why are you wearing trail runners or sneakers well- or whatever?" well Well, this is just replying to
0: youtube comments 101 like you have to stop and think about who they are why they're asking this question what are they actually saying you know the context Mm. behind their question but then you realize none of this matters and me even thinking about this in the first place and trying to think of a witty response is just a waste of my time so don't feed the trolls But yes, yeah. hike, hiking boots. I don't like them. I'm more of an athlete when it comes to hiking. There's different ways to hike, but I like mm. to push myself. I kind of mm. race other people without them knowing on the on the trail, and uh, <laughs> I like to sweat when I'm going uphill. So yeah, shoes, trail tra- trail runners. <laughs> trail runners are the the way to go.
1: Yeah, I think um, the hiking boots are. I mean, I grew up in Tasmania, and you have to have hiking boots. Basically, in, in Tasmania, for a lot of the, at least a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do, like you have to have you know something fairly rigid, really good, uh, a really good sole with you know huge lugs and um, perhaps ankle support and you know protection for stone and water and mud and what whatever. But and when I, I moved over here, and it's just no r- real reason to wear hiking boots. It's just they're so much lighter when you wear trial runners you can go faster mm-hmm. you have more dexterity you can feel the ground beneath your feet you can flex your your toes and you know flex your feet and you can navigate the ground a lot easier it's just safer
0: you can yeah. immediately feel the difference like you know that flighty yeah. feeling when you, you feel like you're not wearing shoes at all you just like want to prance mm-hmm. around and it's like you can go much faster and yeah your dexterity is like increased like uh, mm. and, and with the waterproofing like people that's usually the reason why people say wear hiking boots to like waterproof but i i have never been able to keep my socks dry especially when you're sweating like it, it just gets wet so it, having mm. lighter shoes that dry quicker i think is more important than waterproofing so
1: Ex- yeah exactly 100% and and probably importantly having socks that uh you know moisture wicking that's mm-hmm. super important as well. I'm a I'm a huge like sock nerd and I I love talking about socks. I love getting new socks. Oh yeah. Um, and I think it's super important like if you have blisters and you're not sure why, I think the first thing you should look at is your socks, even mm-hmm. before your shoes because um yeah, the, the 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 fabrics that the socks are made out of are super super important and there's there's quite a lot of brands, like there's a lot of these kind of new brands coming out now that look like they're you know incredibly high-tech hiking socks but when you look at the the ingredients that makes up you know the fabric of the sock what the socks actually made out of it's not fabric that i would choose to be putting on my feet when i'm hiking for sure so yeah i would if there's hikers listening i'd say do your do your research
0: oh i've tried i've tried so many different socks and i think you're right it is important I'm talking to a couple of different companies and they're willing to send me out some socks. So I'm going to keep trying them, but, uh, yeah, when it's cold out, I kind of have to wear thicker socks, but in my optimum temperature hikes, yeah. Having short Mm. hikes that wick and dry quickly and then having two pairs so that you can swap them out, just keeping them dry, like allowing them to dry like overnight or when you're not wearing that pair is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think for long distance, like if I'm trying to do 30 or 40 miles a day, um, my feet are the first thing to go. That's the weakest part of the machine. Like, so it's like a bruised feeling. It's kind of, it's definitely like swelling and, um, inflammation. Um, and I, it will literally hurt to the point where I can't hike anymore. And I have to take a break just to let the swelling down but definitely the weak, weak part of my, you know, entire system is uh, socks feet and, and shoes. So getting some extra yeah. soles, um, swapping those out, swapping out my shoes, swapping out my socks is like way more important than people realize. Maybe I should make a video all about feet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're going to make a a video, a video about feet, just look into, I don't know if you wear like zero drop shoes or like barefoot style shoes, Have you looked into that before?
0: Hmm, no, describe that.
1: So zero drop basically means uh, that there's no difference between where your heel sits and where the ball of your foot sits. So that's zero drop. If you have an eight mil drop, it means that your heel is eight mil higher than the ball of your foot, right? And most shoes, um, any types of shoes now, for, for no good reason honestly have you know four six eight mil drop or more and -hmm. that really affects the way that that your feet feel the ground and the way that you move over the ground like we're not we're not meant to have a heel under our heel (laughs) like we should be getting as close to the ground as possible especially if you're hiking and moving over difficult terrain but the way shoes are designed it really affects the feet so i would the premise of minimal shoes is ma- mainly that like the zero drop but then also that it has a wide last and a last is like the the width or the like the base of the shoe and australians suffer in uh you know european footwear because we're uh we wear flip-flops a lot mm-hmm. so we have these big fat feet and uh the, the shoes just aren't really made for us the other thing that you need is is a really nice wide last to enable your toes to spread out mm-hmm. and be comfortable and really grip the ground i've
0: you know, seen a lot of people rundown. wearing that type the, the the wide flat front uh hiking shoes there's so many yeah. different shoes I, i'm excited to try yeah. them out and figure this out but i'll, I'll look into yeah. the drop um because you can have protection and and heal but it changes the way you walk so the idea you're saying is if you get to more of a natural uh flat um sole and shoe style yeah. like it'll change mm-hmm. the way you walk and that will give you benefits or like what yeah. what's the idea
1: basically the the, sh- the standard shoe offers more support than than we need like we 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 don't need support, we need protection. So we need protection from the elements underneath the foot. So if we're walking over sharp rocks and whatever, we need some rubber to stop you know, mm-hmm. our soles of our feet getting punctured. But outside of that, we don't really need ankle support. You should be relying on your natural range of movement and your natural ankle uh, mobility and the strength of the muscles within, um, within your feet to support the way that you move across the ground. So having... Having a structure that is supporting the the foot and the ankle, it allows the muscles within the feet to atrophy and become weaker and weaker over time, and that's when you end up with injuries like um, plantar fasciitis and you know rolled ankles and all sorts of variations of those injuries.
0: This stuff is important, people. <laughs> I was just talking to uh, <laughs> that long distance hiker, and uh, he actually had to cancel and get off the trail on his PCT um because he broke his foot like a bone bone in his foot and he hiked Mm. i think i think he said like a hundred miles or something with a broken Mm. foot and was trying to fight through the pain but it became too much
1: Goggins yeah Goggins mindset there
0: (laughs) man that marine yeah Yeah,
1: yes i i get questions a lot from uh people who are doing long distance hiking pct um appalachian trail and whatnot and it's a difficult thing to train for because, you know, most people are doing you know, 25 to 30 plus miles a day and to go from sitting in an office to that is a huge change. And there really is, uh, you know, there's a lot of difficulties when it comes to training for that. So what I tell people is that, you know, your trail fitness will come, you'll almost inevitably suffer for the, for the first two weeks or so but what you can do at home beforehand is not get trail fit but you can strengthen your feet and your ankles um, your posterior chain so everything from your shoulders through through to your heels to actually have a, a strong structure and you know supple muscle that will deal much better with long days in the mountains I think that's probably the, the number one thing For you to do because you'll build the trail fitness you'll build you know your aerobic capacity being on the trail over time that's really the only way to do it but what you can do to prepare is the you know stability mobility the muscular preparation especially when it comes to feet
0: So what does your fitness routine look like? It's a little different in quarantine, oh. but it shouldn't be right. We should be doing things that we can do easily with no weights, no gym, mm. just in home, you know, like a, a 30, 30 minute, uh, intense, you know, routine is something that everyone should try to do every, every week. Right.
1: I'm going to disagree with you. Oh, I uh,
0: Hey, I have a fitness website. Okay, so I I am I'm a full-time trainer, so you need to listen to me. I think I know more about this, so <laughs> No, educate me. No,
1: I mean doing doing 30 minutes of uh, high-intensity exercise is great, and I I would never recommend anyone don't do that. But you know, if you just squeeze in some fitness into 30 minutes into your average kind of office work day, that's that's awesome. But If you have a little bit more time available to you, uh, and most people do at the moment, then what you can do is learn to leverage your body and to to explore your body and and, and explore where your limitations are in your your musculoskeletal system at home with nothing. And I just brought out a program that is designed to be done on the floor with absolutely no equipment. And I just happened to, but it was a coincidence that I brought it out now because I've been working on it for like six, maybe nine months making these videos. But yeah, so what I what I recommend rather than doing high intensity stuff is actually do, especially if you're a hiker or a mountaineer, do lower intensity stuff because the other thing other than strengthening your musculoskeletal system is building an aerobic base. And that doesn't happen through high intensity training. I think most people, are probably training harder than they need to be mm. and they're expecting to gain a, an aerobic spon- a response when they're sweating and panting and barely breathing. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're panting and you're, you have a really high respiratory rate, you're not gaining anything in terms of uh, an aerobic advantage. So, most of the time, you're safer you're better off working at a lower intensity but then the payoff i mean the drawback is that you have to work for a longer period of time
0: so would you say the success would be consistency because everyone's goal is going to be different based on them yeah. right
1: yeah consistency is almost always the answer to anything related to fitness <laughs> yeah yeah damn uh, but, yeah, at the moment for me, I mean, it's been, it's a, I've changed. It's changed dramatically. So, I was training for um, the Buff Trail Epic, or the Buff Epic Trail, sorry, which is a um, uh, an ultra trail run, uh, 68 kilometers with 5,000 meters of vertical uh, ascent and gain. So, that is out the window. Mm. It was meant to be in July. Mm-hmm. So, up until the quarantine that I was doing, 60, 70, 80 kilometre weeks of just running and then lots of just mobility and preparation for my feet and calves for the things that I was speaking about before. They they apply to trail running as much as they do to hiking. And what else? I was doing core strength. So I was basically no, doing no, no strength work at all for my body and I really missed it. So when the quarantine came around, I was like, look, I can't, you know, get out and go running my options are to you know run on the spot and do you know lots of different kind of variations and try and replicate aerobic running and aerobic training on the spot on my tiny little balcony or I can accept the situation that I'm in and I can use what I have to my advantage and focus on something else for the meantime and perhaps when this is over I mean definitely when this is over I'll just go straight back to running because I, I love it. Or I'll, you know, integrate a mix of both. But it really depends on when this when this quarantine finishes and you know what what I have available in terms of like goals to work towards. But for the moment I'm doing strength uh, three times a week. I'm doing core strength, like three to four I do core strength like every second day just for like ten minutes and i'm doing maybe two aerobic sessions where i'm kind of just i'm shared it on my instagram story and stuff just stepping up and down on a box and playing with lots of different variations trying to keep it interesting listening to music and just watching my heart rate and doing basically anything um to keep me interested on the just on the spot it's it's ridiculous
0: yeah <laughs> yeah do do you think people so what what is the what does it look like if someone is to prepare for a hike that they're coming? So picture someone has never hiked before. They're not Mm. sure how many miles they could do. Um, That's always a question I get. Like, I don't know where to sleep. I don't know where to camp because I don't know if I can make it here in a day. Like, I don't know my max Mm. miles. So what would you recommend someone who's about to do their first as far as preparing and making sure that they're ready?
1: I mean, the first thing you can do is open the door to your, for your house and go walking around the neighborhood and then when that becomes boring then you go a little bit further maybe you drive to a uh, an area where it's not too challenging with some graded trails and you start walking and maybe you start off with four miles and then next weekend you do six miles and then 10 miles and then all of a sudden you run out of trail so you've got to go somewhere else and it, it's just that is very idealistic but that's the best thing to do like it's just walking so it's simu- the simulate
0: time. the hike in a low risk situation yeah
1: right? yeah yeah in a, in a low risk environment yeah. i mean 100 percent the best thing you can do as a hiker is just to walk right but not many people have the the time like certainly a lot of people if they live in a city especially aren't inclined to go walking around the city and depending on where you live it's probably not recommended either so i try and work within the barriers of what people have and, and what their limitations are. And a lot of time, people don't have, uh, you know, it's pancake flat. Like if you're in Kansas or whatever, there's no hills. So you have to simulate hills. So then you combine walking with doing step-ups, for instance. And step-ups is, I think, the, the best way to do that. I don't recommend people do, like, stair masters or whatever they're called mm-hmm. because, I don't know, it's a long conversation don't. I've got a whole video on that on YouTube if you want to find out if you're interested in that. For anyone listening, but I think just stepping up on down on a box to get your uh, vertical gain, and then just walking walking on the flat is a great way to start with training.
0: I agree. I, is fitness minimalism a thing?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if it is yet. I think body weight training, you know, is the closest thing you can get to fitness minimalism, like r- really limiting what uh, what you have to use. And I've kind of been forced, uh, I wouldn't say forced, I've, for the last like two years, I haven't had a gym membership. Uh, there was like a six week period where I did, but for the most part, no gym membership, basically no equipment. Like I just put out a video about what I'm using for training right now, and it's resistance bands, a step. I have my heart rate monitor, which is probably the most important thing on there and rings i love rings Mm, okay if you've if you've got somewhere to hang rings up in your house that's the best investment you can make in your body and probably your mind right now because there's so many things you can do with the rings and they're just and they do look uh they do fit into the minimalism category for sure
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i love the idea of doing everything just with body weight And then there's also the social aspect. So a lot of people will join clubs or do yoga Mm -hmm. uh, retreats or workshops just because they love the community and they want to work out with other people. But for me personally, I like to eliminate distractions. So when I go to a gym, I feel a little self-conscious. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm worried other people are looking at me like I'm Mm -hmm. constantly distracted by what other people are doing. So just working out at home or on the roof or in the back garden by myself with no weights i think is optimal for me
1: yeah that's when i enjoy it most as well um also because like a lot of the time when i'm training i'll like get an idea and i'll start recording a video you know halfway through so probably that's not acceptable in a gym I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah i really like working out on my own and and i get the i get the camaraderie and like the the support this is one of the reasons why i kind of was happy to to walk away from my physical business in, back in Australia because I really felt that I was everyone. Everybody was really. This might not be the case, but I feel like people were really reliant on me, and and the and the community that we had and the other coaches, for them to be fit. And I really, honestly, for the whole time, I just wanted to empower people, and I really wanted to inspire. Them to be fit and to do it on their own, and that's not a smart business decision. Mm-hmm. But I really just wanted people to to become their own coach and and to to learn for themselves and to uh, educate themselves and and to apply the things that I'd taught them in the gym and take home and and start building their own fitness. And because you know people would come in three you know maximum maybe four or five times a week and expect that that was that I would be able to give them everything during those five sessions but the reality is that we were like a, a group training facility and that you need to take on some personal responsibility for your own body to be able to to learn what your limitations are and I really felt that it was just like I was just ended up being a clutch where I was basically charging like we charged quite a bit to people to, to come in and and, uh, and train and and I think at the end of the day they, they just paid because it was such a, a cool community of people and it was really enjoyable but I don't know, I felt that I was lacking something business-wise as well. Like I always wanted to, to move my business online and I wanted to have, uh, uh, what do they call it, <laughs> online, like on, online income that is not reliant on, constant work mm. so Aut- I to be able to, yeah yeah automated yeah. automated Aut- income yeah. so to speak or um, and I wanted to be able to move to Nepal for a month or travel around and earn money remotely I wanted a, a remote working situation and that lent itself well to to my style of training as well which has become incredibly minimal and, and very much body weight only for the most part
0: mm-hmm It sounds like becoming your own boss and kind of accepting that solved a lot of problems for you in your life. Um, And that's like a template that I guess I'm kind of selling to my audience, whether whatever it is, like find your passion. And then with these tools, minimalism and, you know, remote working, become your own boss and use social media to gain uh, a following and then build a community. Like you can do whatever you want and make that your full-time job. So... It sounds yeah. like you're on the right path, right? I
1: feel like I'm on the right path, and you know, if I'm not, I've <laughs> wasted the last seven <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> but I do, uh, you know, I'm a very content and happy person, and I'm su- super grateful for for what I have and my lifestyle. Like, I I always kind of had this in the back of my mind that I would that I would live. Like, I feel very European. Um, and I, I really always wanted to to live in Europe, and I wanted to to leave Australia for a long, most of my adult life. I wanted to travel, and especially I was drawn to Europe. And um, yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to move here and move the business online, and it it was not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, still working on it, but I'm very glad that I did it.
0: Yeah, but being able to live wherever you want you're your own boss uh, probably cut expenses to help with that transition i'm guessing yeah and then yeah. stay having your job tied into staying healthy and fit and to get out mm. in nature like it sounds like a home run right
1: <laughs> yeah uh, it's a yeah. good it's and a good I, deck yeah yeah, it is a great deck um i mean i have a few competitors and i will probably even i'll i'll have more competitors in the future and i I think that's great. I mean, if anyone's listening and they're thinking about doing something similar to me, I'd say go for it. I mean, it is it is relatively easy to do, but it is a huge, like just like any business, I guess, it's a massive commitment and it will be the best and worst thing that will ever happen to you.
0: Hmm. I think there's enough people out there. So I've never seen other people as competition. Um, and that's like the idea yeah. behind this podcast. Like I'm trying to find other people who hike, and mm. our video creators and kind of do things better than I can. Like you're obviously yeah. a much more experienced, uh, fitness, uh, coach and, and Mountaineer. So I'm happy to share that advice to, you know, my audience and, and learn from you. Like, that's why I do mm. these phone calls. Like I'm very yeah. curious. I'm I'm inspired by the stuff you do. And I'm, I'm, I would love to get more fit and more adventurous and also be safe with, you know, the risks that I'm taking out there.
1: Yeah. Well, now's a great time to do it for sure. I mean, I think now more than ever we have more, a lot of people have more control over their time and their own space, whether they're working from home or, you know, unfortunately there's probably loads of people listening to this that have uh, lost their source of income and they have no idea what to do with their life. But I guess the one thing you can do is kind of worry about what you can control and what you can control is your own Uh, your own mindset and your own body what you do with it so you know if you've got it's like it's like when people go to jail and they're not just becoming super fit because they've got they've got nothing else to do and so they focus all their energy on that like if if you have pent up energy and you're locked inside and you're really struggling with this quarantine isolation thing the best thing you can do is just start moving (laughs) moving your body around and trying to get some of that energy out because it can be it um, can entrap you, I, I imagine,
0: <laughs> or just commit a crime and get in jail and then get super fit. <laughs> the prison yeah, fitness schedule: free food. <laughs> <laughs> free food, free food, yeah. free lodging. Oh man! Uh, so there was one topic I wanted to touch upon before uh, we lose this train of thought. Um, so the idea of pro- providing free content online with YouTube. And then mm. at what point do you put content behind a paywall? Um, I yeah. was talking to another photographer uh, yesterday and he described it as you give away the why and then you yeah. charge for the how. Does yeah. that apply to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of that kind of language before. What and why is free and how is paid. Um, and that is very much something that I still apply to um yeah it's it's a it's a tough question and i every time i create something i'm like oh this feels really valuable maybe i should charge for it and and even that that last program that i brought out um you know my business partner was like we can't charge ten dollars for this 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 is insane like it's just it's worth so much more than this and i'm like i don't know i don't care like all of this information in that ebook you could find on the internet if you looked hard enough for long enough you know so i was like there's nothing in there that's especially um my i'm you know i am i'm i am telling them how to do it in that program and so that that is the barrier like but i put a lot of videos on uh on youtube that are like follow-along workouts or they are um like entire workouts I've started to do more follow-ons because I think there's just a lot of people that are more more inclined to literally just jump into the session or, you know, watch it again later. But, I don't know, building a whole uh, picture of fitness and, and a, a routine for training that is uh, effective, there is many different pieces of the puzzle that you have to bring in together. And a lot of the time when I... Create one of those videos. There's only one, one puzzle piece. When in reality, there's you know several. So, it's I, I give away quite a bit, but at the same time, the stuff that I've given away isn't in, in in no way adequate <laughs> for for like uh, for a you know a big trip or. Um, to, for, it's, it's not going to get someone incredible goals. This is like incredible gains. Like the stuff that I've put out there, I don't think anyway um
0: so how many how many twix bars is it acceptable to eat while on a hike
1: (laughs) i i have a rule in (laughs) uh, um in nepal that i have at least uh one Snickers a day but Ah. i always have like two at minimum two as backup in the backpack so every time i have every time i eat a Snickers, i walk past the next town that i go to I buy at least one, maybe buy two. So I think it's really important that you have that kind of backup plan with your Snickers, uh, with your long term Snickers plan. And I don't you know whether it's Twix, whether it's Kit Kat, whether it's Mars Bar, any of that, the same rules apply.
0: I will say Snickers are everywhere. You could go to the corner of the earth in the middle of nowhere yeah. and that shop will have a Snickers bar. Um, yeah. it, it's also about a pick me up. I've always had like a the same idea, you know, just a little emergency treat in case mm. you're hitting the wall, you're past that point and you just need like yeah. a little pick me up to do the last 3 miles to camp, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've been experimenting a little bit lately with with um eating a lot less because I was doing these really long runs. Sometimes I was running for you know, 6 hours, 7 hours. So I begin. I began to feel like I would feel worse when I ate something, and I wasn't. I would certainly not recommend eating a Snickers if you're doing a marathon or something like that. I was having like dates, sultanas, um, and nuts, and some dark chocolate and things like that, and I was just kind of experimenting with how I felt after having something like that because you read all these, um, you know, all these articles saying, oh, you, you will um, bonk and lose your, um, your glycogen stores after an hour or, or two. And I've said that, you know, I've regurgitated that information on my blog as well. But, um, yeah, some of the stuff that I've been reading recently has been suggesting that we can go for a lot longer than what we think mm. and without food and, and even water. To some extent. So, I've been ex- sort of experimenting with uh, lengthening those time frames under, uh, you know, low intensity activity without any kind of fuel.
0: Yeah, it's good to test it. I, I think, mm. I think, water in general, though, for me, I've, I drink way more than what you see in the hiking videos because the water is free. It's delicious. Mm. It's cool coming yeah. from Glacier. Obviously, I'm filtering it, but I will you know sometimes offset hunger just by overcompensating with water because if i drink too much i just kind of pee it out but yeah yeah Yeah. trying trying to not have a stove and trying to not have to cook is also important so yeah having like Mm. trail trail mix or nuts um is key
1: yeah i would recommend if you're also drinking a lot that you have something salty as well because you can hyperhydrate there's such thing as overhydration so you mm. basically end up washing out all of your salt stores so just having some kind of salt would be uh, a good idea just in case
0: Dude, just trying to do a fitness thing, like making videos and and trying to educate and keep people on some kind of routine is just impossible if you don't have nutrition. So it's just like so, like you said, yeah. so many things. So there's sleep, there's mindfulness, yeah. there's food. There, oh, it's tough.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, if you if you don't have the sleep and the nutrition down, then any kind of testing or any kind of changes you make are almost arbitrary because maybe the reason that you didn't succeed in your testing or improve in your testing is because you ate several big Macs in the course of, you know, three days, or maybe you only slept for four hours. So I guess, you know, and everyone's probably needs different amounts of sleep, but I, I think paying, and this is why journaling is so crucial, for, like for me to be able to like track,
0: well, it's testing and, it's having yeah, any it's kind testing, of feedback yeah. and like listening yeah. to your body and paying attention to the mm. changes is that's something yeah. I've started doing in my twenties. Well, late twenties, like in college I would eat things and then feel like shit the next day and not understand why. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, dude, lucky, lucky for...
0: charms will just brick me for a 24 hour period. Oh, <laughs> dude. Dude, do not eat sugary <laughs> cereals. <laughs> i um i lived in the states when i was
1: younger i like just i lived and worked i worked for a uh for a summer i worked at a summer camp in uh upstate new york actually nice and That's oh, where I grew no, up. it was connecticut it was, connecticut. Oh, it was okay. right, on the, right on the border Lake Sa- lakeville, same thing connecticut. same thing shout, shout out <laughs> to anyone from lakeville <laughs> but yeah I, I worked at this summer camp and i was like 19 and um you know like in australia we have sugary cereals and um and that kind of thing it's not it's not strange, but, I mean, on the first day when I walked into the to the cafeteria and I saw Lucky Lucky Charms and I'd seen them on movies, and I was like, oh, I'm super <laughs> excited. I can have marshmallows in my cereal now. <laughs> oh, man, those things. <laughs> yeah, I and, don't know. Uh, Pop-tarts it's- and, like, all sorts of, like, basically chocolate for breakfast. And it would just make these kids absolutely insane for me to deal with. Like, for the entire day, I was, you know, having to deal with these. Crazy kids hyped up on sugar.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All day. Just what people eat on trail also fascinates me because when you run into other people, especially at camp, you can see what they're cooking and eating. But mm. uh, there's so many different ways to do it.
1: Yeah, I'm really. That's probably one of my like hiking weaknesses, I guess. Like I'm not great with food uh, on on the trail. Like I am often. That's like that's often the final thought when it comes to, if it's like a three three to four day trip. Um, I mean, I, when I went to the Himalayas in 2015, I took, well, I went with a group of 10 people and I took the responsibility of managing like what kind of snacks we were having on that trip. And I put a lot of effort and research and stuff into that. But for the most part, you know, for my, for, for my average weekend to four day hiking trip, I'm eating very basic stuff um you know mm-hmm. pasta and noodles and <laughs> kind of that kind of that kind of junk and I, it doesn't i don't imagine it serves me very well but i think for the most part um during my day-to-day life i i eat really 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 well and i feel like that kind of makes up for it in a way
0: mm-hmm. yeah being healthy on trail as far as what I eat is something i'd like to improve as well so question yeah. you, we both did the Marty Hamal. Um, I forget how many miles It was like 20 something, I think, but the elevation yeah, was, was pretty, you know, there was some elevation gain. Uh, yeah. but I would like to make the estimate that in a perfect world, if I did it again, I'd probably do it in a day and a half. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. So, so one, one day going up to the top camp and mm. then you sleep and eat and then you wake mm. up super early. Uh, for the su- sunrise summit of that ridge area, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the next day for a half a day, you could probably get all the way down to the base
1: yeah, but um, you should maybe do another trek beforehand so you 're acclimatized like if you just come back from the Annapurna circuit mm-hmm. um, you will have that acclimatization for the next month at least, so do a, do a trek, get acclimatized to you know five thousand meters. And you'll zoom up that thing, no problem. But mm. if you come off the plane from, from New York into um, Pokhara, and then try what you were just describing, you'd, I think you'd, you'd either be lucky or you'd be in some serious trouble. I think because, especially because of what happened to you on Kilimanjaro, I'd say that you're probably not. You haven't kind of developed a, a much of a tolerance to altitude yet. Mm -hmm. And even if I went and did something like that, I think I would be at least in for a severe headache.
0: Yeah, I felt fantastic all in Nepal. Um, I I didn't run into too many people, just a couple first time hikers who didn't reach the top just because they were feeling some altitude sickness. But I I feel like Mm -hmm. it was more fitness and just mindset. Um, Kilimanjaro. Holy crap. That was just a I feel like that was a perfect storm. You know, I, I touched upon it briefly in the end of the video, but I was actually quite sick. I feel like I legit had the flu for that trip. Yeah. And I was also just stressed out being in a weird situation with that amount of people. And yeah. my mind it was like a last minute trip. My mind just wasn't in it, so yeah, failure. Ugh.
1: Yeah. But I mean, this is part of the part of the deal, especially when it comes to mountaineering. You probably will fail, you know. Half it's fifty percent of the time, you know, when it comes to mountaineering, because there's just so many elements that that uh, are there to prevent you from from succeeding, getting to the top, and then more importantly, getting back down. But mm. yeah, you know, I mean, Kilimanjaro is—it's very common that people don't make it to the top. I don't know what the exact figures are. I think I said in one video arbitrarily that it was like fifty percent success rate, but it, it, it is very low, stupidly low compared to your average hike and the reason why is because the acclimatization profile is ridiculous it breaks every single law or not law but rule Mm -hmm. of acclimatization um, unless you do perhaps one of the like nine day itineraries and even then you know that's not a conservative itinerary you're still kind of pushing the limits it's almost six thousand meters and to do that in five days is insanity i would never do it yeah um you know and it's not about speed like it's such a beautiful mountain you have five different ecosystems um so much cultural things to learn along the way if you can afford to fly to tanzania then maybe you can afford an extra day on the a day or two or two on the itinerary to take your time and i think you would drastically improve your chances of getting to the summit and back if you if you take the time but i think what happened i don't know how how long was your itinerary
0: um i can't remember but it was either day day four or five that i okay was taken down
1: and what what level did you get to altitude
0: um i don't have the numbers in front of me but it might have been 15 16 yeah A thousand feet yeah yeah well okay. i don't i don't know the meters sorry yeah. <laughs> everyone yeah. always yells at me in the comments they're like dumb americans you need to put <laughs> meter
1: kilometers <laughs> well mo- most of my audience is american so i've i've actually become um almost defaulted to using feet inches and stuff but in hmm. miles particularly but yeah um see so yeah so i think what happened to you is very very normal especially if you hadn't had you been to altitude like above 9,000 10,000 feet before that point
0: so I've done 14ers so that's 14,000 feet but that's just up and down Um, Mm. I've been to 15,000 feet up and down Mm. the most I've ever camped is probably 13,000 feet Mm. Um, but you know we were sleeping (laughs) Kilimanjaro is such a weird weird thing like you said it's a lot of climates it's massive and there's Mm. really no other mountains to get you ready uh, on that trip you know it's just an isolated by itself mountain so yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do it so, again i had a couple companies reach out to me after that video being like <laughs> we'll we'll no, no. we'll get you in like a three-person uh you know a guide yeah. yourself and a porter or two and then we'll we'll take you up in a small group but great, i'll probably yeah. take some time before i do that again
1: <laughs> and i would um what i would do is i would go to maybe fly out to the northwest to the rockies and spend a night at at least you know nine ten thousand feet if you can um a night or two probably yeah two nights within a month before going to kilimanjaro and that should eliminate a lot of your problems it's important most of the changes that occur with altitude happen when when you're sleeping so it's Mm -hmm. important to spend a night or two before you go to altitude i did that even for mont blanc which is not that high i did a pre acclimatization here in the pyrenees um the weekend before i went to mont blanc Uh, it's just makes makes all the difference um especially if you haven't done a lot of altitude hiking or mountaineering before it Mm. it really mitigates a lot of issues a lot of people don't have that uh the luxury of doing that i understand that but if you do, then you, you should definitely take the the opportunity to do it.
0: Cool, yeah. Lots of mountains to hike, man. I just can't wait for all of this craziness to end. Like this, I know. this was going to be my year. I was going to go do a four month hike and just kill it. But now I'm going to break it up yeah. into smaller hikes. What what's your plan going forward? You know,
1: um I'm going to talk about my plan in a minute. But I wanted to say I think this is probably like a good f- thing for you. When I saw that you had chosen to do the uh, PCT I was like oh man that's going to be so hard to document and like like I know you don't put out videos that often but it would just I imagine that doing the PCT in itself would be already such a mission um, but then having to document it in in to the quality that you do would just be like uh, a very uh, seemingly like unsurmountable task I don't know like other people have done it but I don't know if if I was Craig Adams I would like to I would probably take shorter trips and do the kind of uh, the mountains that you were mentioning like all the kind of popular ones and tick those off the list and make those videos Um, in, in shorter time frames and then worry about the PCT at another time I don't know but I think for uh, for me I don't know i uh i really have i've never been a fan of running like i've never been a runner and i i chose this because i wanted to challenge myself and do something different and open up a new area of knowledge and dive into dive into trail running and the things that i need to know to become a good trail runner and it's also such a huge part of the culture here in in catalonia especially I, i wanted to wanted to become a trail runner and now i just miss it so much like the very first opportunity i have to be able to legally go for a run i'm gonna go for a run i I can't wait
0: (laughs) yeah same i can't wait to get back out and trail running is something that i've been wanting to get more into i've always thought that if i if i didn't have a camera in hand i would just be trail running
1: yeah actually over the last few days i've been experimenting with um because i i took a i've got a dji osmo which i got recently um and i've taken that in my in my phone on a couple of long runs like 20 uh 20 to 30 kilometer runs so uh whatever that is in miles 12 to 16 miles or whatever mm-hmm. and um long. just kind of document <laughs> yeah, long enough documenting those along the way uh and just finding an area no tripod or anything just finding an area to put the camera down and run past it in in a very similar way that you do with your fixed lens kind of shots as you run past or walk past and um and doing a little bit of in hand stuff like it's got an incredible stabilizer in it so you just hold it and and it's just automatically stabilizes the shot and i i imagine the new gopro is probably pretty similar but the the amount of um I could just change the game in terms of being able to capture things run and gun with with a, such a intelligent little camera that's so lightweight. like, I, I'm loving it. So I've been editing this film over the last few days, and I've in preparation for the podcast, I watched a few like I've seen a lot of your hiking videos, but I've watched a few other ones. And then I just started editing like you. So if, just, <laughs> if this video comes out and it looks strangely like a Craig Adams video, I just, I, I apologize in advance.
0: <laughs> no, that, that's good. Uh, I look forward to seeing that. Um, yeah. That's funny. It, 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 like you said, it does change the game. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what types of brands I want to work with. I would much rather like to just shoot whatever I want to shoot but I think mm. swapping out the camera that I use to shoot the hiking film is an interesting mm. thing. So I've been talking to GoPro, Insta360, DJI, and Sony, mm. Lu- Lumix. I've done a project with them. Also talking to Fuji about like, okay. just give me a new camera. I'll shoot a hiking film and then that's the review. So yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see what yeah, you can do.
1: Just see what you what you can produce with just this one camera. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, that in my, uh, the in mic, the in camera microphone. As long as you get a good like dead cat over the top, can probably suffice for a lot of those kind of hiking films as well.
0: Um, Depends on what, what you, you want to do, you know. You, yeah, you, I didn't think that I could make a hiking film with no talking before I did it. So that changed. <laughs> and, that changed my perspective. Uh, but yeah, I you certainly can. the, the Patagonia. Torres del Paine video that I just posted is probably going to be the last video that I do on board mic though. I miss yeah. having like pristine, beautiful, windproof uh, audio. Mm. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And like it doesn't take much. You, you have a gentle breath of wind, a couple of miles an hour, and it's blows out the audio completely. You lose any vocals you had. It sounds terrible and the moment someone hears that they just click off the video because it's just so difficult to deal with
0: yeah but even more than that there's i think if you can get a high fidelity mic that is blocking out the bad aspects of the wind having some wind sound i think is beautiful and adds to the ambience the it it makes you feel like you're there if you have well recorded wind i guess that's what i'm saying with the dead cat
1: Yeah, yeah 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 And, and it, like it just gives the video so much, so much more depth, especially for you if you're not saying anything. There's no dialogue, uh, or very little dialogue. That the, the uh, yeah, the sound design becomes paramount at that point. And like I don't know about how anyone else watches your videos, but a lot of the time, I'll just have your videos on while I'm like cooking dinner oh. and I'll come back and glance at it every now and just like see what you're up to <laughs> Nice. and so the sound and I have my headphones on like I've got these beautiful um, Sennheiser headphones and so yeah it's like a it's like a podcast without like, speaking you know <laughs> I love listening to the sound design of, of your videos and yeah I but, don't know if that, there's that, anyone else that's really is there anyone else that's doing what you do in terms of the totally silent hiking videos
0: I haven't seen any Mm. And this is what I've talked about with other hikers who are video creators. It seems like most people are hikers who are learning how to be filmmakers. And I'm yeah. coming into this space as a filmmaker for over a decade, uh, who's just learning how to hike. And I'm not yeah. sure which one is easier to learn and which, you know, you could learn <laughs> faster. I feel like I have a leg up because, you know, no, I've, you I've do. been doing this for over a decade, but I feel like I'm learning how to become a better hiker faster than other people are learning how to become filmmakers.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that we have an innate ability to, to look after ourselves in in the wild, and that's not necessarily something that you have to read from a book or even from a youtube video like it's within us and just spending time in the outdoors you will learn things like if you're reasonably assertive you can come back from a hike and be like okay what worked what didn't um but you don't really have that opportunity with the camera like for me i've hiked my entire life um and i've never really made videos up until the last like 18 18 months so that's been an incredibly steep learning curve. I definitely think you have the the upper hand there.
0: Mm, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's strange how there are so many different ways you can approach making videos as a hiker. But I, that's why I was fascinated to talk to you because I don't know any other fitness people in the space. So I think that's an interesting niche or niche, whatever people say. Uh, mm. So definitely lean into that and talk about feet more and yeah. uh you know recommend you coming
1: out <laughs> very very soon <laughs> that dives into that whole kind of uh shoespiracy thing, <laughs> <Shin you> know, <laughs> <spares> <laughs> thing. Dude.
0: well we're over an hour now this is easy it's very very easy to talk to you this has been fantastic thank you so much it's been
1: great man i honestly i've never spoken to another youtuber because i i started my channel when i moved from australia and even then i didn't know any youtubers and i haven't met any since i've lived here so it's just been nice to kind of like shoot it around a bit and just learn and and chat about the the trials and tribulations of being on youtube so thank you (laughs) thanks for the invite
0: Oh no problem. It's so important to just have long conversations every so every so often. I go crazy, and especially with this quarantine, like I need to talk to mm. someone. <laughs> if yeah, I, I've always thought sure. that if I could have this sound quality and uh be able to walk around my neighborhood or on a trail while recording this podcast, that would be best, but this mm. is this has been really good. Thank you.
1: I'm sure the technology will get there at some stage. <laughs> just and, a headset. Um, head <laughs> And if you want to climb something, um, if you want to come over to Europe, um, maybe to the Alps or the Pyrenees, and you want to dip your toe into mountaineering, just let me know and we can go and climb something. It'd be fun.
0: Awesome. I look forward to that. Cool. Thanks, Craig. Also, did you see the white dog when you were in Mardi Hamal?
1: Dude, I mean, I, I saw so many dogs. Um, and even you saw two white ones oh right that yeah, were exactly the same a
0: bunch of dogs a bunch yeah. of white dogs no, I,
1: I i I feel the same way um, that you do about that i don't i don't think it's a a good idea to take um <laughs> uh, <laughs> the animal out of it steal <laughs> oh, dog. steal yeah. <laughs> i mean it's not it's like that's it's almost its natural environment, yeah, yeah. leave because, it alone <laughs> like very few people in Nepal actually have pets yeah like there's a, you have to be financially quite well off to have a pet like you have to buy you know dog food or just feed it regular human food or whatever a lot of people don't have that luxury so there's in Nepal there's not necessarily pets there's just dogs right and mm. there's a few pets that stay stay inside and they're neutered and you know they have leashes and they're trained or whatever but, and then there's just dogs so that dog has been living there its its whole life you know and probably enjoying it I don't know I mean maybe it's got a great life and maybe it's had you know it's been vaccinated like it had everything you know having, having moved to the US and given a whole lot of extra opportunities that your average Nepalese dog will never um, even dream of but I don't know I feel I feel in a way that the marty humill trail is like missing its soul now
0: (laughs) oh man i feel the same way like i recommended this trail because of that dog (laughs) and now it's just gone so man whatever r.i.p ghost
1: yeah well plenty plenty more dogs there's always dogs in nepal that's one of the the coolest things about hiking alone or even just hiking in the pool like you just tend to attract dogs. but I never managed to I mean I had one follow me for maybe two days maximum but I don't I don't think I fed it enough um, So I think the key for you, like <laughs> you unlock the key of the, uh, gaining the dog friends is to feed them well.
0: <laughs> oh I bought him four meals so yeah that's probably like the key um, and okay we'll we'll definitely wrap it with that <laughs> funny <laughs> everyone wants to exactly. know about that dog i even had someone send me a photo um on that trail of another white dog and be like i found a ghost i'm like that's not ghost." <laughs> <laughs> so many white dogs on that trail Ugh. yeah there
1: will be more as well Word.
0: um okay dude stay safe and try to stay yeah, s- we'll sane dude if i had to like look at mountains and wasn't able to go out to it that would drive me a little crazy so and that'll do it for today thank you so much for listening if you've got any other questions for chase or myself let us know instagram or email probably the best ways to do that i'm also curious to know who else you'd like me to interview on this podcast i'm interested to talk to creatives hikers anyone let me know uh but yeah thanks for listening and take care